We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. We're so sorry if we caused you any pain. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert.
and welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard and that was Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey from the new Ramon 50th anniversary tribute to Paul and Linda McCartney's Ram. And uh, one of the men who features on that album and was integral to putting that album together which uh, recreates Ram is Denny Sywell, original and founder member of Wings. And of course... I've got Denny here today. So let's hear my chat with Denny. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, talk to me, Denny. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. And obviously, the main reason we're here is to talk about the new album, Ram On, the 50th anniversary tribute to Paul and McCartney's Ram. What was the um, the origins of this project? Because it, it's a great album and it really does the original uh, LP justice. Well, it, I got to hand it to this, my co-producer, Fernando Perdomo. I met him, oh, geez, at a Beatle Fest or something a little while ago. And then he came out to see me. I was sitting in with Danny Lane. He was playing locally and he asked me to come out and play Live and Let Die with this band he was working with. So I kept running into Fernando and one day he uh, called me up and he said, hey, would you like come up to my studio and just lay down a couple of drum tracks? You know the part, so it'll be easy. He said, I, I just the heck of it. I did a version of Too Many People and Some People Never Know, Wildlife. And I said, oh, I love those songs. So sure, why not? I got the, the time free. This was maybe a year before, yeah. a year and a half, something like that. But anyway, I went up to his studio and he had drums there. It's, everything was, all I had to do was sit down and play. So within a half an hour, we did both tracks and we were hanging out and uh, listening to back and everything. And it was really fun. So a little while later, he calls me up and he says, do you know that it's going to be the 50th anniversary of Ram? I said, oh, no. And so he said, let's do the whole album. I went, I don't know about that. Uh, I thought about it for a day or two. And I said, why not? I love the, I mean, it's my favorite of all the recordings I made. Let me see what Paul's got to say. So I call Paul up and I said, hey, man, some of these indie rockers and Gen X guys, these younger generations that this record means so much to them, they want to do a tribute to it. I said, how do you feel about that? They want to have the original drummer so we get the same vibe and feel at the bottom of the tracks. And he said, yeah, go, go for it. Have fun, man. So I said, beautiful. And uh I called Fernando back, and was, I just and it was done during the lockdown. Oh, so remote? Oh, it's all remote. I go up to his studio. Yeah. I record the drum track. Sometimes we'd start with a drum track, like Uncle Albert, Backseat of My Car. Yeah. Uh, those kind of tracks, you can't do them to a click track. So we would figure out the tempo on the other songs, but those, I actually played along to the CD. I put a fresh drum track onto the CD that I'm listening to in the phones uh, to get all of the, the movement and the time changes and all that. So it's exactly the same. I do this occasionally when I do my Ram clinic at Beetlefests and what have you. Right. So it was nothing new for me. It was, it was easily done. I did eight tracks one day in three hours. <laughs> wow. And so, uh, you know, then, then Fernando does all the heavy lifting and, and brings in all of the guitar solos and what and all the overdubs we really paid particular note to every part that was put on the original record is on our tribute record and then the hard task was finding the right voice it, obviously without Paul McCartney I mean <laughs> nobody's got a voice like that but uh 
we found some people that really had the spirit of, of the original record. And that, that's what we were looking for in just about every part was the spirit. Yeah, and you've got a, a real mix of, as you say, indie and artists um, singing and, and guesting. But when you take, uh, you mentioned Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, you've got David Spinoza who played guitar on the original album and you've got right. Marvin Stamm as yeah. well on or that Sam. as well. So you, you've got, and, and obviously yourself yeah. with underpinning the whole thing. So you've got that blend of old and new. Yeah. Uh, when we got around to doing Uncle Albert, I said, or, well, Spinoza only played on, on a, another day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause he played tidbit. Uh, when we recorded Uncle Albert during the Ram sessions, he did a version of it, but then something happened that I can't really talk about. <laughs> you know, Spinoza is a very loose guy. Yeah, he doesn't care if you're the the Queen of England. You know, he'll treat you like another person, and, and he sure wasn't uh, easy on Paul. Right. <laughs> you know, but Paul's a Scouse. He's used to that stuff. You know, yeah. a little bit of Scouse humor, but. Yeah. I think Spinoza freaked him out a little bit, and he was also taking some dates when Paul asked us not to book any dates. So I think Paul asked me to bring another guitar player. But so I tease Spinoza. I call him Paul McCartney's half guitar player. <laughs> so when we get around to doing uh, another day, I said, "Why don't I call Dave up?" And, and I call him up, and he says, "Yeah, I think I'd like to do that." So we sent him the track. He put on the six original guitar parts that he put on the original record. Wow. He remembered them. He listened to it and remembered them. And he did it on the same guitar he used 50 years earlier. Pretty special. So, yeah. And the same with Marvin Stamm. Marvin lived up to, you know, in the same town up north north of the city. And uh, and I said, Marvin, you got a mic? You can record the flugelhorn again? <laughs> I loved him. <laughs> Yeah, so that was great. I think you said backseat of my car and the way that track ebbs and flows in terms of the, the drums, you just can't put a click on that. You've got to go to the, yep. the feel of the song. Yeah, and that was that was hard to find a vocal for that. And this good buddy of mine, Brantley Gore, a very talented young guy, he used to live here in LA. He now lives in Nashville. I, I thought, I mean, you know, I asked him to actually do the, the heart of my part of the country. And he says, yeah, that's nice, but I'm going to, yeah, just don't do that because I live in Nashville. I want to sing on the backseat of my car. <laughs> I said, really? I said, well, okay. Funny story. He got, the night before he did that vocal, backseat of my car, he got a positive test on the coronavirus. Gosh. So he, he tested positive. He got up in the morning and he did all of those background parts and the main lead before he got sick. Wow. And then he got through it in style. Of course, he's young and strong, but so that vocal was done with Corona, help of Corona. <laughs>
just said you think that Ram is some of the best work and best recordings that you've been on I mean it just holds up and it's one of those albums that keeps growing in stature because it had some knockers at the time but there's not many people knocking it now right yeah that's true I, I just think that the critics you know the critics can't talk good about something they won't have a job yeah. <laughs> they got to throw some controversy there and everybody's just blame Paul for breaking up the Beatles which none of that's true so uh I think we had a, a mission impossible to come out with that re- first record, Ram, and not please everybody. You know, how could we? So in terms of the original album, were the drum tracks laid first there? Or? Oh, oh, no, the original? Yeah, the original. No, no, that was so beautiful. Paul would come into the studio and he would pick up a either what he, if he wrote the song on the guitar, he'd pick up the acoustic or he'd play piano and sing the pilot vocal. So we get to know the song. He'd sing it through once, and then we'd start fiddling around with finding parts to fit each section, you know, learning the tune a little bit. Then we'd start recording it, and then within four or five takes, we usually had it. So we would do a song a day, and uh, we were there nine to six, but Paul would show up at 10.30, you know. (laughs) And it was done loose. It was very loose, but by the time he played the song to us, we knew, oh, my God, we got to dig a little deeper on this one because this music's going to be... People are going to be listening to it 50 years from now, like they are. And uh, so we were thrilled. And uh, 
It was just an amazing time. I'll never forget that. Those sessions, I can feel them like I was there yesterday. Yeah, I think Ram was an album where Paul McCartney was reaching and reaching into the, the feel of Abbey Road, which was relatively recent. But this time as a solo artist in terms of how the the songs were arranged and care and attention to the production rather than McCartney, which is often a bit rawer. Plus the angst. Those songs were written with a lot of angst from the breaking up of the Beatles and everything that was going on, which we were sheltered from both during Ram and during Wings. He did not, that we weren't privy to any of that stuff, and I'm glad it went that way. And in terms of that angst, you've got Smile Away, and I think in terms of the new version, you've got Davey Johnston on, on slide on that, haven't you? Is that an iconic solo? Yeah. I was just with him again last night. He's one of my great mates. He was right a few miles away from me. And uh, you know, when we were doing this, I said, there was a lot of great guitars on there and stuff. But I said, I'd love to get Davey on this. And so I called him up and I said, what do you think? And he said, send me the track. So I sent him the track and he did it gladly. He was so happy to do it. I think it's one of the highlights of the whole album. Yeah. Look out, he's coming out with a, he did an album of, of new songs that he wrote and created during the lockdown. That, uh, I don't know, there's a very good chance he, uh, he's talking to that Cherry Red label in the UK. They're, they're talking about doing something oh. together. Uh, I'm sure it's, I haven't heard any, I've heard one or two of the songs, but they're brilliant. And Davey's a really talented guy and a, and a dear, dear, dear friend.
you've got some duets on, on the album. So you've got Eric Dover and, and Lauren yeah. Lee on uh, Oh Woman, Oh Why. And again, that's a song that vocally is, is more stretching, but that duet approach really works. Oh, man. That was Fernando's idea. We had trouble. Eric put the original vocal on, just like Paul did, singing all the parts. But at times it was a little too... David Lee Roth, or just too much screaming, you know. Yeah. Because Paul's got a way of, of doing a powerful vocal without getting to that screaming level, yeah. and that, especially on that song. So we, were, we weren't completely thrilled with Eric. Parts of it were just absolutely stunning. But Fernando had the idea, well, why don't we have a woman, a female, put on the part? But okay, well, this is why I shot him. <laughs> So she can sing that verse and he can answer and she can sing the verse and answer. And it just worked. It worked great. And he found this girl named Lauren Lee and uh, she was ideal for the part. And uh, it just really, it lifted it right off the ground for me. I love it. And at the very end of that, you're going to hear some lines. That's my other great buddy, Joey Santiago from the Pixies. I wow. asked him to jump in and do something. And he does crazy little mandolin bits. He does all this. I just wanted some of my dear friends. I wanted a little bit of that. I didn't want to go, you know, when we were thinking about doing a tribute record, I called, could have called in all name people that would help with record sales and all that. But I said, you know what? I don't think so. This is Fernando's idea. And I think that him, I, I didn't know any of these these younger people. I wasn't right. really familiar with them. So I wasn't going, when I was making a decision on which vocal we were going to use, it wasn't on who's going to sell more records, who's more popular. It was the part. Who gave the best performance? And, uh, and I'm glad that we, uh, we stuck to that. But at the end, I just had a couple of my buddies to throw something special in if it's just for me. But, uh, I think it's great. It means you can appreciate Ram in a new light because sometimes you can get over familiar with something and you can, it's similar enough but different that you can kind of appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's got, well, 50 years of technology too. If you listen to the original Ram, Paul's production skills on that were, were beyond brilliant. I mean, if you listen to the spacing and the disc yeah. and, the, uh, and the, the space in, in that, album of how instruments were placed and and not overdone and everything if if i could say anything negative about but our version is uh, youthful exuberance we added too much in you know uh, at times it misses some of that sparseness that the original did but uh, everybody that played on this record played from the heart and they were all there because this record meant so much to them and that was the uh, such a beautiful premise for it you know
did the sessions take for the original album was it a quick process or oh, we, we did a song a day you know like we revisited uncle albert when uh, spinoza was out and McCracken came in and had, it's you that's on that the ori- original uh, uncle albert but uh yeah i think we recorded 23 songs so monday to friday to so five days a week that would be about four or five weeks and then um at the end of that Paul took me to L.A., and we came out here to L.A., and we did Dear Friend and maybe another track. I don't remember exactly, but he also brought Jim Garcio, the producer at the time, who was like a big deal. He, Paul wanted to do something with a, so he didn't have to carry the whole weight on his own. He wanted to try working with a producer, and we did Dear Boy for sure. Yeah, not Dear Friend, Dear Boy. I think he, he produced that track at the at a studio here in LA called Sound Recorders, Yuck and Argyle, old uh, Armin Steiner's great engineer of his studio. And uh, anyway, that track was kind of weird. He had me play the drum set. He would take half the drum set away, and then I'd play the part like air drum where there was no drums there, and then he'd take that part away and he put the other drums back, and then I'd play. You know, it was kind of weird. He wanted to get some strange stereo effect that, uh, uh, but some some stuff wasn't working out with his ideas and and it, that that experience just didn't work out too well. And Paul, that was the last time they, well, that, he didn't help out anymore. We just cut a track with him, but yeah, he's okay. It was, it was fine. I I saw him go through that with uh, Glenn Johns too. Right. Paul was such a great producer. I don't know why he kept trying to have somebody help him. Now he uses producers. He's, he's found uh, Greg Burke Kirsten and yeah. some other people he works with. He just he likes having a little less control, but in the end, man, he's got all the control. <laughs> and he's the right guy to have it for his music. Come on. Yeah. And in terms of getting involved with those original sessions, was Paul aware of you beforehand? What it was, was he was coming to New York and he, he, he wanted to find a, he got a list of 10 or 12 of the guys, drummers, that were doing all the best dates and sessions that, in, in that time. And it was, I think it was, the guy's name was Barry Kornfeld. He was a very familiar, he was a folky, but he was very familiar with the guys in the recording scene. And he gave Paul a list and my name was on that list. So I get a call from my answering service Radio registry, Judson 28800. <laughs> I still remember it. 
And uh, they say, hey, you just had a, something cancel out and you've had a demo come in for Barry Cornfield. I said, wow, that's weird. I haven't seen him for years. Where is it? And they told me this address. Is there a studio there? It's like a brownstone on the west side in a dangerous neighborhood. I said, I don't know. That's the, the address he gave us. I said, all right, I'll do it. So I walk over there and I said, oh boy, I'm going to get mugged in this neighborhood. <laughs> it was a brownstone with maybe no electricity. And I walk up wow. the steps into the lobby. There's a guy sitting there. And I said, is there a studio here? He points to the basement. I said, oh shit, now I am going to get mugged. And I go down there and there's Paul and Linda sitting in the, on a dirt floor, sitting in folding chairs over there in the corner. I said, hey, you're Paul McCartney. He goes, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I said, what's up? And uh, he said, well, we're here to make a record. And I was looking at some drummers. Do you mind playing for me? He said, I guess not. I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to. I guess if you can't get it on by yourself, how can you get it on with somebody else? Yeah. I think he liked that. And so I didn't give him any guff. I just sat down at this ugly set of drums that were rented and put down there. And I said, what would you like to hear? He says, just play some rock and roll. So immediately I channeled Ringo. <laughs> I just went to the Tom Toms and, you know, I had some fun, tried to different styles and different beats of rock and roll beats. And we laughed. We had a few, you know, had some fun out of it. I made it loose because right away I said, I'll never get this job. I'm going to enjoy the experience of being with Paul McCartney. If they're going to get the top guys in New York, yeah, uh, yeah I might be one of them, but they're got somebody else going to get this job. So a couple of days later, he said, thanks, that's all I need. And I said, oh, great meeting. You know, I left and forgot about it. Three days later, I think it was three or four days later, phone rings. Hello, this is Paul. I said, Paul who? <laughs> <laughs> so he said, I want you to do this record with me. And I said, great, man. Give me a minute to look at my schedule. <laughs> I threw everything in the air, leapt up, and uh, said, yeah, I'm in. Come in. And uh, started Ram a few days later. One of the rarer tracks that has got released more recently off Ram, which I think is you and, and Paul on just you and Paul. And I think that's Road All Night, kind of really a cool outtake, really. Yeah. And that's just you two playing together, isn't it? That was a jam. Right. Yeah, we took an early lunch that day and he got back from lunch. I believe it might have been a Friday because the engineers started tearing down some of the mics in case, you know, so they were starting to fold up, thinking that maybe there'd be an overdub or two, but he'd probably let me, let let the band go, and he would maybe do an overdub. So anyway, he comes back from lunch, and I don't know what he had for lunch, but he picked up that Firebird, and he's like, so he starts slamming, I jump behind the drums, and we, we're just like at it, man. And with the sweats dripping off, we're just really having a great time. And... Uh, we look up at the engineers and they're just kind of sitting there. <laughs> and we stop for a second. And he says, uh, did you guys get that? He said, oh, we didn't know we were supposed to record that. <laughs> so uh, they're scrambling. They're putting everything up. And then we, did, we went to take two. What you hear on the record is take two. And we were pretty well spent by then. But I think we did a great version. And uh, when he's singing that, you know, we're, we're jamming, just slamming away. And he starts singing. He starts singing. He goes, I rode all night. I rode all night till I finally hit the daybreak. For me, that meant I rode all night till I finally, I can make music with somebody other than the Beatles. And I felt like I was yeah. in a part of history there. 
later he told me, no, nah, that wasn't a thought at all. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> but uh, that's, to me, that's the way it felt. So I gave that spe- jam a little special attention. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, isn't it?
One of the interesting thing about Paul is that sometimes tracks came in a bit later, originally recorded earlier, and then then kind of ended up in a, a later right. album. And, and Dave Friend, I think originally was was that from the Ram Ram era. You know, I think it was, but I, I'm not certain on that. If you want to hear a beautiful version of Dear Friend, I have a trio album, a jazz trio with organ, guitar, and drums, and it's called Reckless Abandon. We did it right here in this room. My drums were in that corner. The organ was over here. The guitar was over there. The engineer sat right here at my my desk, and uh, we recorded a dear friend, and the guys just had the, the sheet of music. We, we wrote down the changes. We didn't rehearse it. And we played it as a, as a slow jazz ballad. And we played that. We took a take of it, recorded it, of course. And we all stopped and looked at each other and said, what was that? Something just came in the room. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but it's a, it's a magical mystery of, oh, the track just, I get shivers thinking about the track. It's so beautiful. So tell your listeners to check out Reckless Abandon. We'll play it now. Oh, great, great. Excellent.
You continue playing playing with Paul, and um, one of the interesting things or, or interesting things that you, you did with Paul was Sea Moon, where you you all swapped instruments, didn't you? So you didn't necessarily play. Any, so so was it xylophone you did? I did trumpet and xylophone. Paul played bass, but originally, if I ever got up off the drums when we were fooling around, you know, if we weren't recording, if we learned something. If I left to go to the bathroom or something, I'd come back, Paul would be playing a drum. But this particular time, we're over at uh, Barnes Common, we're at Olympic Studios. We we start doing that sea moon song, and I was, I don't know where I was, maybe I'd gone to the bathroom and get a cup of tea or something, and then I come back, and Henry's behind the drum kit. And when we played this sea moon, but tap. Like I would have played 10 times as much drums as Henry put in there, but what he played was so perfect. I said, wow, let's keep that, man. I like that. And Paul said, yeah, I like it too. So I said, well, 
uh, maybe I'll put some trumpet on there. He goes, what? <laughs> so I break out this little pocket cornet that I bought on Portobello Road. <laughs> and he loved it. It was like his dad, you know, Jim and the old Liverpool, the, the jazz bands and stuff. So uh, that, and then when we got done with that, I said, still need something. I said, what if we can get a marimba in here? Awesome. <laughs> I order a marimba, send one right over. So I put the marimba part. You know, so it was great fun. Check it out. Simon, 
Ross Speedway is, is an album now, especially with the more deluxe reissues, which actually show the range of songs recorded that again, a bit like Ram is is increasing in, in terms of its stature. There's some great songs there that not enough people know, like uh, When the Night. Ooh. Great vocal performance, great band performance. Do you have any memories of, of recording that or of that era? I, I just love When the Night was one of my favorite. In fact, I have a drum book out. It's called What Not to Play. <laughs> It's like a guide to crafting the proper part for a song. And that song, when I heard it one night, I thought you could do a halftime, but that would be kind of just blase. Why don't we do something like boom, bop, boom, boom, bop, boom, 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 bop. So it goes one, two, and then three on the bass drum, right? Boom, bop. Boom, two, bat, then three, boom, 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 bat, then two, boom, boom. So it's very hypnotical. It just hypnotizes you. And it's it's unlike a halftime beat for a drummer. Yet if you listen to the track, it's just such a beautiful uh, a way of setting it up so that when it goes to the course, it can go to regular time. It's one of my favorites of all times. Yellow, 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 
and sway Oh darling don't you know And ever since that special day My mind can only contemplate The magic that you show some more rock oriented songs from that era like The Mess gives you a chance to sort of break out with a bit more force on drums yeah we need we needed a little more stuff for the live performance and uh, Mumbo and The Mess Paul got you know, busy writing some of that stuff you know and it would just start out as a jam we'd start jamming and then he'd just figure out what can I sing over this you know we didn't put a lot of effort into it but uh, we, we needed that to rile up the crowds a little bit, you know. The Mess was a, a track that was also released in, in a live form as well and was yeah. and actually was very popular. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You listen to it, there's some good bits in there, man. It's not just your, another basic rock and roll track. And I'm sorry, but that, that live recording from, uh, is on the Bruce McMouth show. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, we did it on the James Paul McCartney TV special as well, but yeah. I, when Paul took those live recordings from the European tour. We had the Stones mobile truck there. And when he got them and cleaned them up and did some work on them and put them on that Bruce McMouse show, man, that's some of the best footage of wings that I've ever seen and sounding. We were a tight band by then.
What about the sessions for, for Live and Let Die then? The scale of that, the orchestra and the orchestration were, well, obviously epic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I watched them write that song. And it, we were all up at the house and we had our drug, uh, equipment in the living room. <laughs> and he goes over to the piano and he says, yeah, I got this book the other night. I read it last night. It's Ian Fleming's uh, Live and Let Die. It takes place in Jamaica and all that. So I got to write a theme for it. It's a Bond movie. And I went, oh, cool. So he walks over to the piano and he said, James Bond, Chase, you know, just uh, thinks for a minute, goes, down, 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 So he, in two seconds, he had this little chase scene. Then he thinks, now I got to come up with a melody. <laughs> so there he's got that melody. It's probably in his head from the night before, you know. Yeah. He says, now it is in Jamaica, so I got to have some reggae in there. <laughs> what did it matter to you? We get the reggae bit in there. So before you know it, we knock the song together. We all get to our instruments. We rehearse it up a little bit. We get it in, knock it into shape. And uh, he, he must have had a two-track or something, but he recorded it and sent that our version over to George Martin. And George wrote the orchestral part, violins horns and what have you, timpani. Timpani was played by uh, Ray Cooper. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> timpani and duck call. That was the one. <laughs> so we were like a few days later, we were up at, at Air London in George's studio, and we had a, a live 40-piece orchestra in the big room there. And uh, we ran it down once or twice just to make sure all the notes were written out correctly for the from the copyist, not from George make sure that everybody's notes were correct. And then we sort of did a couple of takes. I don't think we did more than three or four takes. And we had it. It was perfect. Paul put vocal on. Um, There's a couple of little overdubs we did. They mixed it up, and we were out of there. In three hours' time, that track was recorded, mixed, and done. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. So was the orchestration done after the drums, or, or were you on drums with the orchestra? Oh, no, no, live. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the whole orchestra live. Yeah. I was in like a drum booth, but it had a little half baffle in the front when the, the top part was open. And right over here was the strings and the brass was over here, you know. So they could hear drums, but not loud enough to affect. It takes a real engineer to, to know how to record that stuff so you don't get too much bleed from the yeah. louder instruments when you got strings. And that was great fun. There was an engineer there. I think his name was Steve Price. He must have smoked a pack of cigarettes in three hours. I never seen him. Just <laughs> gone. He was really moving fast. When you were young and your heart was an open book, you used to say, "Live and let live." You know you did. You know you did. You know you did. But if this ever
It seems strange that, um, in terms of band on the run, that you and the band before you left actually demoed or, or rehearsed the album. So you were familiar with that material. Paul played all my drum parts on that record. <laughs> so it was kind of like he was familiar with what you did. Yeah, no, it's a shame. There's a, there should be a, there, there is a recording from the barn in Scotland when we were rehearsing it. That I believe it's better than the record itself. It was really a. It had that band vibe, and when Henry and Paul had an argument, they had a blowout one day about him not playing the same part the same way every time. Henry was too organic for that. You know, he had to play what he felt. And he was having a bad day, and Paul kind of pushed him into a corner. Henry said, well, I'm out of here, and left. And at that point, I tried to talk Paul into, we'd become a hot band then, and I said, let's find another guitar player to replace Henry rehearse them, show them all the material, and then, you know, put the recording off for a month and go down and do it later. He says, nah, I don't want to do that. We'll just, we'll just do overdubs like we did on Ram. And I said, after all of this time we spent becoming a band, you're going to go back to that. And so we had a disagreement over that. And there was some, also some, there were some other problems, financial problems. I mean, it's really well known that we were working for 70 quid a week, <laughs> pocket money. And here we are, one of the biggest bands of the 70s. And I was used to making a couple grand a week in New York. So it was, there were some tough edges, but we were all there for the, for the music. And uh, we were all dedicated members. And there was a couple of things that just weren't getting taken care of. And it's one of my biggest regrets in life that I didn't sit Paul down and say, listen, I have to talk to you about something. This just isn't right, and uh, we got to correct it, or, or I can't stay. And instead, I just called him up and said, "Enough, I'm leaving. I'm really sorry I did that." But years later, we became friends again. I made kind of made amends for the way I left the band, and you know, we, we remain friends now. And, uh, and when Linda passed, we we, we got pretty damn close. And uh, you know, he did what he was supposed to do, and I did what I was supposed to do, and everything's fine today. First thing I did when we were starting this Ram On project was I called Paul. I said, hey, man, all these young indie rockers and these young guys that, that love the record so much, uh, they want to do a tribute to Ram. I said, what do you think? And he said, and they want me to play so they get the original vibe. I'll play all the tracks. He said, have fun, man. Go for it. And I said, okay, beautiful. So that was his blessing. That's all I needed. Well, I wanted to close the show with Long Haired Lady, which has got uh, Rob... Bon Figlio and, and, and obviously Carney Wilson. So you've got that Brian Wilson connection there. And, and that's, uh, yeah. again, you've got that duet, which kind of adds yeah. to proceedings. Yeah, Long Hair Lady on the Ram On version is amazing. It's really good. 
And it has a Paul and Linda vibe to it. I can't wait to meet all of these people. <laughs> Post-COVID, there might be the possibility of getting a, a live show going with, you know, with a few of the singers. And We're talking about it. Yeah. So there's a, in the next two weeks, I think we're going to go into a studio and start putting some together, re- start rehearsing up for a live show. If we can do it and do it, do it justice without too much fuss, you know, there's a lot of music that's got to be worked out, but I think we'd have the basic element is there. And uh, once you get, find a way of using, I hate to use computers or synthesizers, but if there's a way that we can pull it off and keeping it raw. Yeah, the feel. And with the spirit of the original, we will. Well, fingers crossed. And um, the original is remarkable. And the new version enables us to listen to that album with fresh ears, but actually appreciate the the new versions as well. So you get some double pleasure off it. And uh, Denny, it's been a huge pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time today. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, we love guys like you that, that understand how much this means to us. So appreciate that too. Thanks, man. Have a great day. No, you too. All the best from England. Cheers, mate. <laughs>
for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the home page thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.